Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. They didn't have to make an oath like that. God did not make them make an oath like that. But usually we make an oath when we're desperate, when we're angry. We make an oath. And Jesus said, again, you've heard that it was said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all. Today on Truth in Christ, our scripture says, Now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mezpah, saying, None of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife. Welcome to our Bible study with Pastor Rob Kellogg. Considering their anger against Benjamin, this probably seemed like the right thing to do. But this foolish oath had unforeseen consequences. Justice not only brings punishment to evildoers, but it also guards against punishment that is too harsh. As we learn today, oaths and promises can place us in a bad position. That's why Jesus taught us not to swear or take oaths. Now let's join Pastor Rob for this final teaching in the book of Judges. Right now, uh, verse 36 on below is going to describe all the things that happened to get to that point where they had defeated them by 25,100. So we're going to see a tally here in just a moment. So the children of Israel, I keep saying that, the children of Benjamin, they saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel had given ground to the Benjamites because they relied on the the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. And the men in ambush quickly rushed against Gibeah. So here's the story of what happened. The men in ambush spread out and struck the whole city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in ambush was that they would make a great cloud of smoke rise up from the city. So that was the same thing we see in Joshua chapter 8. Same kind of battle plan. Draw out the inhabitants of the city, send an ambush behind the city, come in, kill everybody, burn the city. As the smoke is going up, now the guys turn around, and now these men are sandwiched in between. It's a really awful place to be if you are an enemy and that is happening to you. Verse 39, whereupon the men of Israel would turn in battle. Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 of the men of Israel, for they said, surely they are defeated before us, as in the first battle. But when the cloud began to rise from the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them, and can you imagine their horror as the whole city was going up in smoke to heaven? And I wonder if some of them are thinking, oh, if we had just read the book of Joshua. <laughs> Who knows if it was in written form at this time? You know, maybe it wasn't, but certainly the history was there. Certainly they knew about it. And boy, that tactic is really useful at times, especially when your enemy has fallen asleep. 
They still use it today. It's a great battle plan if you can catch your enemy off guard. And when the men, verse 41, when the men of Israel turned back, the men of Benjamin panicked. And you can imagine why. For they saw that disaster had come upon them. Therefore, they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness. But the battle overtook them. And whoever came out of the cities, they destroyed in their midst. And so they surrounded the Benjamites, chased them, easily trampled, trampled them down as far as the front of Gabeah toward the east. And, and notice, here, here is the, 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 the tally, if you will, to get to that 25,100 that were slain of, of Benjamin. It says, 18,000 men of Benjamin fell. All of these were men of valor. Verse 45, then they turned and they fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Ramon, which is a very uh, great place. It's like a fortress area. And if you're hiding from your enemy, it's a great place to do it. And so it's sort of like the rock city of Petra, perhaps, something that seems impregnable, some place where you could go like David did when he fled from Saul. He went to, you know, En Gedi and the place where there's a lot of rocks, very rocky, very treacherous area. So they cut down, they, uh, some turned toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimon, and they cut down 5,000 of them on the highways. Then they pursued them re- relentlessly up to Giddim and killed 2,000 of them. So all the who fell of Benjamin that day were 25,000, really 25,100 men who drew the sword, and all these were men of valor. All these were men of valor. And you think about all of these men. Think about how many thousands, tens of thousands, on both sides now, that have died because of the rebellion of the tribe of Benjamin. They could have just given up the men who did this awful, wicked deed, but they were proud in their heart. And whether it's a person or a nation, pride, there's never any good fruit that comes out of a life that is bent on pride. A life that is proud, that is bent on on prideful things, is always a life that is up for trouble and heartache. It's better for us to humble ourselves. Didn't Jesus say, I will humble those who exalt themselves and I will exalt those who... I'll humble those who are exalted and exalt those who are humble. The way up is down. For us to show strength is not meeting might with might, but rather humbling ourselves. It's totally unworldly. It's totally something the world doesn't expect. They don't expect it. And how beautiful it is when you see the humility of a person against great odds and has a great reason to to retaliate in some manner and to see them back down. I'll never forget seeing uh, a, um, a man who whose daughter was killed by a drunk driver. He was drunk out of his mind, goes out of control, kills his daughter in a car. And then for this man to see this man in court. And the man, you know, they're sifting this father down, making sure he doesn't have any weapons on him. Because you understand that a father killed his daughter. You can imagine the anguish and the pain that that must be. And then for the man to go up to the man who killed his daughter and to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. I've been praying for you. That is powerful. To humble yourself like that, boy, the fruit of that. For everyone in that courtroom, anyone who saw it on TV, is affected in a huge way because every man is touched by that man's humility and what God had done in his life. So much better, isn't it? 
than if the man would have gotten his way and pulled out a gun and did the John Wayne thing, did the Charles Bronson thing, did the Clint Eastwood thing. No, he humbled himself. He broke his own heart. And he prayed for the guy and forgave him. Notice verse 47, But 600 men turned and they fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Ramon, and they stayed at the rock for Ramon for about four months. So these are the only four, uh, these are the only men that are alive, these 600 men of the tribe of Benjamin. Everyone else has been wiped out of the, of the men and the women. And the men of Israel, verse 48, turned back against the children of Benjamin and struck them down with the edge of the sword from every city, man and beast, and all were found. They also set fire to all their cities they came to, but these 600 men are left. So verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Now the men of Israel had sworn an oath in Mizpah, saying, None of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife. As a result of what they've done, we are not going to give our, our, um, our, any of our daughters to that tribe. Kind of a, it seems noble, doesn't it? But a rash vow they made. A rash vow. They painted themselves into a corner. They didn't even know it, but they had, they had already painted themselves into a corner. What did Jesus say about oaths? They didn't have to make an oath like that. God did not make them make an oath like that. But usually we make an oath when we're desperate, when we're angry. We make an oath. And Jesus said, again, you've heard that it was said of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, let your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Your word is your bond. You don't need to make a promise. If you say you're going to do it, you're going to do it. You don't need to make an oath. It's better for you not to make an oath. But these Benjamites, they made an oath, and boy, they were going to stick to it no matter what. And we're going to see how foolish that is and how it's going to create quite a pickle for the, for the people of Benjamin. Verse 2, it says, And the people came to the house of the Lord, and they remained there before God till evening. They lifted up their voices, and they wept bitterly, and said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel, (laughs) that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? So they're realizing, because of all the bloodshed, because of their stubbornness, now there's barely a tribe remaining. And they say to the Lord, Notice, why has this come to pass? And I almost wonder if if the Lord would just break through the clouds and go, because of your stubbornness, because of your pig-headishness, because of your pride, Benjamin. Why has it become upon you? It's your fault. He could have been justified in saying so, because had they given up those men, none of this would have happened. But no, we're proud. We're Benjamin. So it was, verse 4, on the next morning that the people rose early and they built an altar there. This sounds so good. And they, built, they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly to the Lord? For they had made a great oath. Here we go again, another oath. Do you see? They're just full of oaths, making oaths. Boy, these guys don't come up, man. Anybody who anybody doesn't come up, we're going to kill them. You know, and people make these oaths when they're angry, when they're frustrated. Have you made an oath? When you're angry, frustrated, desperate? Many of us have. 
So the children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly to the Lord? For they had made a great oath, a great oath, not just a regular oath, a great oath, concerning anyone who had not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. I mean, really? Is there not enough bloodshed? Has, has not enough blood on the ground as a result of all of the things that have happened so far? Now they're going to make another oath, a great oath at that. I mean, come on, guys. Verse 6, and the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin, their brother. So they, they had some heart in them. <laughs> they grieved for their brother Benjamin, and they said, one tribe is cut off from Israel today. And they were the reason. What shall we do for wives for those who remain, seeing that we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters as wives? So the, all of Israel made this oath. We're not going to give our, our, our daughters to you know, the, these, these men that are left. So we, and we made an oath, too, a great oath. Now we're in a great pickle. God, why have you done this? It's because of you, Benjamin. It's all on you. <laughs> it was. It was all on them. And they said, What one is there from the tribe of Israel who did not come up to Mizpah to the Lord? In fact, no one had come to the camp from Jabeth-Gilead to the assembly. So these are the folks on the other side of the of the River Jordan, right? These are from the tribe of uh, Gad and Manasseh, somewhere in that area. Right on the border of that is Jabesh Gilead. These men didn't come up to help them. And so this is the thing that you shall do, they said. You shall utterly destroy every male. Go to Jabesh, Jabesh Gilead, kill every male and every woman who has not known a man intimately. And so they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins. They killed everybody else, but they found 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately. And so they found the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead. Oh, I read that, didn't I? Um, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, these 400 young ladies, which is in the land of Canaan. And then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin, who were at the Rock of Rimon. So now you've got these 400 ladies, young ladies, who are virgins. And now they call to the guys down at the Rock. And they say, hey, you know, you guys need to... Um, we almost wiped you out, but guess what? We got some ladies for you. You can take them in as, as your wives. It's a present. So Benjamin came back at that time, and they gave them the women whom they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead, and yet they had not found enough for them. So if there's 600 men and there's only 400 ladies, there's 200 men who don't have wives. <laughs> And this is kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? And they painted themselves into the corner. Do you see what they've done? Because of their oaths, because of their rashness, because of their pride, they got themselves into the problem to begin with. And now because of the vows, they've, they've really made things exponentially worse for themselves. And so, verse 15, And the people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a void in the tribe of Israel. Really? Was it the Lord? He allowed it. He certainly did. It was his permissive will. Was it his perfect will? I doubt it. His perfect will probably would have been for them to give up the men of Gibeah when they committed this heinous crime. But no. So is it the Lord's fault? I don't think it's the Lord's fault at all. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for the wives for those who remain, since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin. Now they have a heart. They want to they help out their brother, Benjamin. And he said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. However, we cannot give them wives from our daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn an oath. We can't give them our daughters because we've sworn an oath. 
saying, Cursed be the one who gives a wife to Benjamin. Then they said, In fact, there is a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh. Now Shiloh is north of them in the land of Ephraim, in the, in the tribal border of Ephraim, just north of them. So they hatch a plan. Notice the plan. They said, In fact, there is a yearly feast, and it's probably the Feast of Tabernacles which is north of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Labona. Therefore they instructed the children of Benjamin, saying, Go lie and wait in the vineyards and watch. And just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, then come out of the vineyards, every man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh, then go to the land of Benjamin. It's called catch a wife game. Abduct a spouse. Kidnap a bride. How crazy. Isn't that nuts? And this is how they're thinking they can get around this loophole. We can't give our daughters to Benjamin, but we can, we can have the men of Benjamin, these, these 200 guys who don't have wives, have them go up to Ephraim, up to Shiloh, and when the girls come out and dance, abduct those girls and take them back to Benjamin. And it shall be, verse 22, that when their fathers and their brothers... Come to us and complain. We will say to them, Be kind to them for our sakes, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war. For it is not as though you had given them to, given women to them at this time, making yourselves guilty of your oath, of your oath, because they all made an oath, including the tribe of Ephraim. They weren't to give their wives to these men of Benjamin, but they didn't give the wives to them. They stole them. So now they think, Well, I'm free from the oath because I stole them. I pinched it. I pinched them. I abducted, I've kidnapped the girls. So I've gotten away with my, from my vow. Do you think the Lord kind of sees the hypocrisy of that? I mean, thank God they did that. Otherwise, the tribe would be wiped out. Saul might not have been born, which probably wouldn't have been a bad thing. <laughs> but you get the point. And the children of Benjamin did so. They took enough wives for their number from those who danced, whom they caught. I love that. It's just, it sounds so like Barney and it sounds like the Flintstones. Remember when they, they you know, they, they, Barney Rubble would walk a little club, you know, and he would, you know, bang his wife over the head and drag her by the hair. Remember that? That, that, that cartoon really wouldn't fly in today's vernacular, would it? Um, but it's just so um, odd. They, they caught a wife. What'd you do today? Well, I caught my bride. Does she like you? I don't know. Don't care. Well, happy marriage. Happy life. Happy wife. (laughs) So, they went and they returned to their inheritance with their new caught bride. And they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. And so the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. And they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. And then finally, the book of Judges ends with the with the common refrain that we've been seeing throughout the book, and that is this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. What was right in his own eyes. And that's the end of the book of Judges. Next week, when we get into Ruth, we're going to see Ruth was living around this time period of the Judges. But we see something different in her. And it's interesting because Ruth, this Moabitess, this Gentile woman, is actually going to be David's great-grandmother. We're going to see her in the lineage of Matthew. 
We're going to see this Gentile woman actually being in the line of Judah, who would ultimately give birth to King David, and ultimately, through that line, Jesus Christ, a Gentile woman. It's almost like God's got a sense of humor. He's not, he's not bound by blood of people. He sees the faith of, of Ruth, this Moabitess. And so I'm looking forward to getting into that uh, next week. But um, there's a lot to learn here from the book of Judges, though. You know, as you go and you read through it again, if, if you dare to do that anytime soon. There's so many things. It wasn't a period of history that Israel's proud of. It's a, a difficult time. A difficult time. And would to God that we learned, you know, the children of Israel, even today, hopefully they'll learn from these things. And hopefully all of us who read these things will learn from those lessons. We'll learn from people like Gideon, who was fearful. We'll learn from people like Samson, who was governed more by his eyes than really a man of faith. And in these two gentlemen, we see a lot in our history. We see a lot to learn from. We have a lot of experience to glean from if we'll listen and if we'll let the Spirit of God speak to our hearts. So really, that's what the book of Judges is about. It's, it's, a, it's a book of failure, really. But it's not written here that it would just rub our noses in it. It's there so that we can see what life is like in rebellion. And I love the fact that God doesn't sanitize the Bible. He tells it like it is. That's why passages like last week and the beginning of tonight were very difficult to hear. But God makes sure that we understand this is really what a life is like, that apart from me, this is what you're capable of doing. This is what can happen. And I don't think God wants that for any of us, do you? He wants us to learn. He wants us to be set free. So let's stand together and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for what we've learned in the book of Judges. Lord, so many lessons, so much history there, Lord, that unfortunately is repeated later on as we look in the book of Samuel after we get through Ruth. Lord, we see so much history that was uh, even from the past in the book of Judges that was, that was gleaned from. And even in the future of the book of Judges, there's going to be people doing similar things. God, help us to learn. Lord, help us to rightly divide your word and help us to be humble enough to surrender our lives to you. And Lord, to read the word of God with not just it being about somebody else. Help us to read it. And wound us first, for good or ill. It's always for good, actually, Lord, if it's from you. The conviction, Lord, the encouragement, the love, the, the good examples, the bad examples, Lord, help us to learn from these things, that we could be a city set on a hill. We could be those ambassadors, those people who others can look at and say, I want to, what is it about your life? What is it about you that's so different from everybody else? I want what you have. Lord, help us to be willing to share and open our mouth and tell them the truth, the good news, Lord, the things that you've done. How we thank you for that, Lord, and how we thank you for showing us the ugly things. But, Lord, there's so much more beautiful things in your word, Lord. They're like diamonds of, and gold, little nuggets that we get to read and figure out and find out as we go. Thank you for that, Lord. Please encourage our hearts tonight. 
and get us home safely and bless our day tomorrow. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob begins a study in the New Testament book of Jude. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.